Welcome to episode 339 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I am so excited to announce that my third book, Break Out of Boredom, Low Tech Solutions for Highly Engaging Zoom Events, has just won the gold, the Nonfiction Authors Association Awards. This is a huge honor and a wonderful way to mark the close of my book launch campaign. My book launched on March 13th, 2023, the third anniversary of COVID-19 bringing all in-person events to a screeching halt and events becoming synonymous with virtual events. Yet the book and bonus resource library, which includes checklists, step-by-step guides, 30 plus Zoom strategy videos, sample run a show and much more at breakoutofboredom.com. Bulk order discounts are also available for 25 or more books. This book has reached number one bestseller in 18 categories across the US, UK and Canada and has 238 Amazon reviews. A huge thank you to everyone who supported my book launch. And it's not too late to post your review if it's still on your to-do list. Are you looking for a presenter or trainer? I'm available to train your speakers and trainers. They are more confident and competent virtual presenters. My two most requested sessions are low-tech solutions for highly engaging Zoom and getting set up for success on Zoom. Reach out to start a conversation. Email Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. That's Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. Right after this break, we'll dive into this week's interview. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Today's guest helps adults transform their lives, be more creative, and regain joy with purposeful play. He is the founder of Breakthrough Play, a corporate facilitator, keynote speaker, certified coach, and author of the book, Playful Rebellion, Maximize Workplace Success Through the Power of play. Featured as one of the top 100 HR influencers of 2021 by the Engagedly HR software platform, he has over 14 years of experience in the corporate world, as well as nearly a decade of experience as a performer in improv theater. He uses the power of applied improvisation and other playful methods to assist people in unlocking creativity, confidence, and better communication Please join me in welcoming Gary. Well, Gary Ware. Welcome, Gary. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Gary, thanks so much for joining us in your place in San Diego, California. It's a thrill. Uh, you and I have gotten to know each other on a regular basis. We've been meeting up for months now, but I feel like I'm going to learn a few things about you on this call. So you know there's a show at Building Strong Networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? 
Yeah. For me, the definition of leadership is being a person that can take care of the people in their care by being a great listener, being inclusive, um, and at the end of the day, championing them. So that's what I think a great leader is. And uh, (laughs) it's funny. When I was younger, I got in trouble for this. But now that I'm older, I realize that these are the qualities of good leadership. I was that person that would get everyone together and we would essentially cause mischief. I thought we were just having fun. And the teacher would say, no, Gary, stop that. You're interfering with class. Like, for example, um, I created a, a little study group mastermind in the middle of class when I guess we were supposed to be solo working. But um, I I thought it would be great. Hey, why don't we work together? What are you doing? What are you doing? And the teacher was not having it at all. Uh, but people uh-huh. followed me, and, and I thought we were we were taking care of each other and stuff like that. And so those were the things I got in trouble for. But as I'm um, older and more mature, I realized some of those characteristics um, are in great leadership. I love it. Listening, including people, and championing people is because there's great core elements of leadership and you're right. Those examples of like you wanting to bring people together, support each other, even though at the moment it was like making the teacher, uh, you know, it's like, it wasn't her plan. <laughs> She's like, Oh, Agreed. it's funny. I interviewed your friend, Jeff Harry, and the title of the show ended up being good mischief. So <laughs> I'm not surprised the two of you have the play and improv sort of background. So having that in, in your childhood, I'm actually kind of curious, like, what were you like as a kid, you know, in the playground? What's what's the earlier Gary like? Were you uh, always organizing friends to get together? Were you sort of sitting back and watching? Like, what were you like in the playground? Yeah, I was uh, I was that mischievous kid that just wanted to be involved. I, I, I wanted to have fun. Uh, I was considered the class clown. Um, and I think... And it was funny because it was after years of therapy and looking back, uh, it was more of a survival survival mechanism because my dad was in the Navy. We moved a lot. So I was going uh, from school to school up into fourth grade. I was at a different school. So I got really good at knowing, all right, cool. What do I need to know? Who do I need to know to, um, you know, to fit in, to belong? Um, and I was often, you know, people say, wow, you can fit in with so many different groups. You're like this chameleon. And it wasn't until like years later where I realized like, who am I? Am I really being my true self? Uh, However, you know, um, now that I look at like the essence of it, the innocence of it, of, you know, being a kid, it was just all about just wanting to have fun, you know, wanting to, you know, have friends and and get along. Yeah. It is sort of a double-edged piece, right? Where you, you are at the core a fun person, but when you're performing it, because that's how it helps people get along with you, it is always a question of whether it is truly you or are you doing this in a performance way? And it, it's sort of a little bit of both. Like it is a survival mechanism. Um, and, and I get that chameleon piece too, by the way, Gary. Like I had friends in all the different cliques. And I, I went to a school that graduated 1,300 students in one graduating class. So it was very big. So we had all these cliques. And I, I had some friends in all of them. And, and I sort of floated around. And thought at the time, wow, I've sort of fit everywhere. And then I had this moment, I was like, but none of them are all me. Like, <laughs> you know, like I'm I'm able to fit in all these places, like, but none of them are just all me. And it's like that, that trying to figure out like where we belong. But it sounds like you moved a lot before fourth grade, but then did things stabilize? 
they after did. that point? Yeah, they did. Um, but those characteristics were still there of wanting to uh, just engage people. I, I love making people laugh, making people smile. Uh, I love, uh, you know, practical jokes uh, and things of that nature. And and similar to you, I was like that multi-potentialite of like, ooh, I want to try this. This sounds fun. Oh, so I was in band, but I also did soccer. I did football. Um, and it. I think it was like, I like to say, I peaked my sophomore year in high school because I was, if you look through that yearbook, I was like in every club. I was in track. I was in band. Uh, I was um, the vice president of the African-American Student Union. You know, I, I did all these things. And then after that, I, I think I experienced like school burnout. Uh, and then like my junior or senior year, I was like, mm, I'm just going to cut back on that. But it was it wasn't like I like if I was truly being honest with myself, I was like really curious about those things and wanted to do yeah. it. I didn't realize that, oh, there's a capacity that we can do, uh, do things well. And then, you know, my junior year, I got a little bit smarter and I, I cut back on some of those things. And then it's like, All where, right. where was it you were growing up at that point? Uh, San Diego. Oh, so where you are now. That's great. Yeah. So, so we ended up in San Diego, Naval Town. That makes sense. Uh, so what, what, uh, when you were like 12, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Was there, <laughs> was there a plan based on your family? Like, was there definitely going to be college or you had like a family business to join or? Like what yeah, was no life? family business. Uh, when I was 12, uh, I wanted to be a scientist. Ooh. I don't know where that came from, but I thought that was cool. My parents were like, all right, cool. You want to be a scientist? All right, cool. So they got me like things like chemistry sets. I had a telescope. Um, and by 12, um, I was playing a clarinet. Um, and so that was something that I really enjoyed doing. And and then, uh, so my dad was in the Navy and I was I was considering like i don't know how these two would mix but i really like science and and exploration but i was like oh yeah i want to go i want to go into the to the navy i want to be i want to be um an officer there i want to go to like uh, like um to the naval academy um and then you know that sort of floated away uh like once i got into high school if i was really honest once i got my first girlfriend then it was just like what what do i want i want to be with you I, <laughs> you're the first guest to say that and it's so true and so honest for like those years those like teenage years yeah. you're like i don't want to go anywhere but here like why would i go anywhere but here because here is where you are uh all right so now you're you're ending high school what's the plan yeah it's you, a, did you, you didn't go to the navy no i didn't and you didn't I, go to the navy. i missed a bunch of big checkpoints uh, so if you want to go to um the Naval Academy, you have to get uh, lots of recommendations uh, from uh -huh. your local congressperson, uh, people at your school and things like that. Um, and so I had the grades. I just didn't. I missed all these checkpoints, um, but I had music. And so I'm like, all right, I, I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go to uh, school to be a music teacher because that's where I I fell in love with music. It was like that sort of Mr. Holland's opus situation where our um, high school music teacher, he was like teacher of the year uh, and all these things. And so I fell in love with music. Um, I ended up being the drum major. And if you're not familiar with that, that's the person that like is in the parades that has the big baton and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, I got into San Diego state um, to their music education program. And then things changed um, only because, you know, the end goal, like my end goal was like, oh, get a good, you know, 
get a degree because my parents were all about education. Like, hey, you can do whatever you want. Just get a good education, um, you know, so you can get a good job and and pay off the student loans and stuff like that. And then someone put a bug in my ear that changed everything. They were like, "You want to go to school for music education? All right, how like how much are you getting in student loans? Are you sure you're going to be able to get a job as a music teacher at the high school level like you wanted to, so you can be that Mr. Holland's Opus?" And I started to doubt myself uh, as a like eighteen and a half, nineteen year old. Was like, I don't know. Uh, maybe I can't do that. And, and then, then I justified it as like, well, the logical thing is I probably should do something that's going to help me make money. Um, my parents weren't well off, but we never like, I never felt like we were poor, but I wanted to be better. That was the thing. And so I changed my major. My parents freaked out, of course. Uh, so I went from, uh, music education to computer science. And had, had you had any interest in computer science up to that point? No, no, no interest. What, okay. What year is this? This is in 99. <laughs> uh, in 99. So it's like, okay. So 99 is when I was learning how to do HTML for the first time when I was supposed to be getting my graduate degree. So uh, websites were just starting to happen. GeoCities yes. was a thing. Okay. So computer science is like, we're not quite in the world of the websites yet, but like we're starting to play in that space. Exactly. So yeah. Okay. They can make money. They didn't have the program that I wanted. So I was in a ska band uh, back then. Uh, and you I'm, were in a ska band. I was, I had blonde hair like Cisco, uh, you know, at least the dragon. Uh, uh, all right, Gary. I played Go saxophone ahead. in a ska band and, but yep. I loved that I was doing our websites. I was learning HTML and we didn't at San Diego state. They didn't at the time didn't have a program for that. The equivalent was computer science because you would learn programming and stuff like that. Um, and so I switched to my major, uh, but I had pretty much just did gen ed and stuff like that. So it wasn't going to necessarily set me back, uh, but I didn't like all the programming. I just wanted to, how do I make better websites and, and how do I get this stuff on my website so I can sell our CD? And so that's when I switched and, um, and I transferred to the Art Institute in Santa Monica. That sounds like a big shift. Big shift. Uh, again, this is uh, by by now it's uh, mid two thousand. Uh, so Y two K has happened, uh, you know, and or it didn't, this was, or it didn't. Yeah, right. <laughs> the world was ending. Oh wait, we're yeah. still here. Yeah, but at the time, my my band we had broken up. Like all bands break up is over girls and 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 stuff like that. Um, so I didn't have any attachments. Uh, to San Diego, and I really loved design. I, I really loved all of that, uh, figuring that out. It was my like sort of hyper focus. And they had a program. It was called Multimedia Web Design. That was the program. It was a Bachelor of Science in that. Um, and f- and I, you know, got accepted, got in. And for the first time, so up until this point, I really didn't like school. Like it was a necessary evil. Like I did pretty well. But it wasn't like I enjoyed it. Like so, at this point, I was like hooked. Like every class was a project. Um, we were, um, you know, making videos, um, and all this stuff was like pre YouTube, pre anything that was easy to uh, create content. <laughs> uh, so I spent right. hours in the um, in the lab, uh, like getting things off of tape onto a computer, and then hours getting it off of a computer back onto tape. Um, but I learned again, learned how to do all this stuff for web that's completely obsolete now. 
if I'm being honest, like everything is obsolete. Uh, but what I did learn is how to learn, how to how to be agile. Um, you know, I was like, yeah, the first uh, like a adapting like to like google ads i understand what that was i i knew what banners were and so after i graduated um i ended up getting a job at a cable company and i encoded commercials so basically i took commercials off of tape and digitized them for like 18 dollars an hour at a cable company in los angeles i mean that's thirty six six thousand dollars a year which you know unless you had school loans that were like for you know law school law school that's not a bad start i guess not out of bad. right out of school yeah right not bad yeah. and, it was and doing something that was easy something you liked and left you probably brain space to think about other things what were you it. thinking about yeah so i got my best friend uh, from college a job there as well and we had all this equipment we um it didn't pan out the way we wanted it but we wanted to create a multimedia magazine for car culture like drifting and and things like that. Uh, we called it street fame. And so we went um, and used equipment for the company that we work for to go and film uh, like uh, if you like Fast and the Furious type stuff was like big back then. We would go film stuff like that. We would film like car models and stuff. And we were trying to put together like um, an easing, you know, that had video that had articles and stuff like that. Again, pre- uh, pre YouTube, well, YouTube was just starting out and stuff like that. It was very hard to have to get it off the ground. Um, and then I was still like sort of into music, so I wanted to include music. So it was just fun. It was so much fun. Again, no pressure. You know, uh, most of that stuff just bombed completely, but we didn't care. What's great is that you learned so much. I mean, like the practicality of this isn't that you got to sell it or even finish things, but that in the doing you started to trust yourself and and test things out and try things that most yeah. people didn't even know existed. So while you were trying to figure out something that was not easy to do, then when tools came along that made it easier to host video and embed audio, like you already had a lot of the skills and it was a matter of now using some of these new tools. So, I mean, it sounds like a playground in a lot of ways. It like it was that, like, what do they, what do they say? Sandbox. It was, yeah, <laughs> it was it, a sandbox for you to play in. It was a sandbox and we, it was one of those things where, uh, with the, the, the schooling that I had, it taught, essentially taught me how to be creative, how to learn, um, how to figure things out. Um, and I took on things that now that I look back, I'm like, wow, I was out of my league. I ended up doing like commercials and they were pretty good commercials. Like I, for like, for people in the area, like I made commercials and, and sold them and, and made these websites. And, uh, it's so funny. Like, again, when you have that, when you're playing is in a sandbox and it's just like really fun. I spent, again, this is before I got married, before I had kids. So I had a lot of time on my hands, uh, where I would just spend an hour, just like, I need to figure out how to, how to make this into a commercial. Like I, I knew how to film it. I knew how to digitize it, but like I taught myself after effects, like to put like graphics and stuff on there. Um, and then, um, because I was in the commercial, like I digitized commercials, I was able to talk with the salespeople to get the people a deal i'm like hey they're they're a local sales person can you know how how can we get this on the air and get them a good deal and stuff like that so all these things uh, it, you know again was fun um i learned about digital marketing because uh i was the quote-unquote web guy so the cable companies sort of saw 
that web is where it was going. They were sort of dragging their feet, so they didn't really have a good sort of approach to it. So they let a like 24, 25 year old like create banners for these large companies uh, and stuff, which is great. I totally took it on. I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to make banners. And I learned how it worked. It was just play. How did you not end up in like ad agencies or, or digital marketing agency? How, how did not, like it sound like you were sort of on that path where you were learning the marketing of it. You understood mm-hmm. the tech of it. Like yeah. you could have easily been swept up into that whole path. I could have. So I, uh, one thing I left out, I did intern at a large um, ad agency in LA, uh, Deutsch. Um, and it was one of those things where they weren't hiring um, after I graduated. It was one of those. So they are the company. I don't know if anyone remembers uh, Mitsubishi, the car company. They did a Super Bowl ad where the Mitsubishi um, Eclipse was racing another car and they were throwing bowling balls um, at the cars. And it was sort of testing their stamina and, and, and endurance and stuff like that. And then one of the first commercials that I remember that had a website call to action where it was see what happens.com, you know? So you don't know, is the bowling ball going to crash into the car? Have no idea. It was a like, sort of like one of those, ah, uh, and it, go to this website. And so I was interning there. They lost some big accounts. So I um, ended up not uh, getting picked up. So that's where I got the cable job. But it was one of those things in LA, very cutthroat, very hard to, um, it was like, just like, you know, the madman, you know, Madison Avenue, New York, who do you know? And I didn't necessarily know anyone. So again, the networking thing came into play when we moved back to San Diego, where me and my wife got married. And then I got hired as a a web manager for a data storage company. So again, another sandbox, I did everything for them. Uh, And, and if I was, if I'm being completely honest, I, in the interview, I was sort of saying that I could do stuff that I didn't know how to completely do. Um, but I knew what they were and, and the main thing where I felt confident that I can end up doing it was the people who interviewed me had no idea what it was either. They were like, it was basically, we need some people who can do these things. We don't really know what they are. You went to design school and you know, web stuff. So you should be able to know this. I knew about maybe 80% of the stuff that I needed to do. And again, the other 20% I learned, but I quickly learned how to network and figure out who did know how to do it. And I learned from them uh, really quickly uh, because at the end of the day, I, I knew that I was in over my head, but I didn't want um, it to be a situation where my reputation was at stake. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. How did you find those people that were helping you? So again, the internet is starting to be like, so at this point now we're, we're 2006, 2007. Um, and it was just, uh, basically, I, I think it was MySpace and, and Facebook and stuff like that. Um, you know, there were um, in San Diego, there is an advertising uh, community, the American Advertising Federation, and they had a young professionals uh, network. It was called Ad2. And they, it was funny, they, it was a sports marketing night. And they said, you can get a discount off your ticket if you're a member. So I became a member to get a discount. Uh, you know, the typical thing when you have organizations like that. And I went there and then in networking, I found out there were uh, one, I, it validated that I actually knew more than I thought I did because I was, I ended up meeting some people who worked at a digital marketing agency that I en- ended up working at 
eventually, but they were working on ads for my competitor, uh, the competitor for the company that I was working for. And we were just sort of talking shop. And I realized I'm like, I do know what I'm talking about. And they're not doing a good job. And their client spends way more money than we spend. So anyway, so it was a big confidence boost. But those little communities, uh, again, they were like little web communities that were like forums and stuff like that that I was a part of. Yeah. Um, and that's, again, I would ask questions. I, again, it was all play for me. I saw it as a, uh, you know, I I talk about like um, a playground of possibilities where I just see people as playmates. So I would, I would super curious about it and I would just ask questions and um and then it the interesting thing is because everything was so new most other people they were just figuring it out too. Yeah, I mean it was new for everyone. So if you were just a little ahead, this is sort of reminds me of uh the beginning of the pandemic when I started playing with Zoom and you know a month later announced that i was running a, a four-week program for 500 bucks and people were like sign me up <laughs> you know like you know something i don't know and it's like yes. yeah i have one month's extra education on you but like the number of hours that you're willing to put in and try things right and test things out and very quickly excel so i, I it's just so curious because you sound like you're on this sort of um I don't know, we say like career trajectory around like working, you know, one agency, maybe moving to another agency. But I know you as an entrepreneur. I particularly know you as someone who's like doing tons of improv, um, play and, and speaking professionally. Uh, at what point do you start getting connected into the improv community? Is that sort of a, a side thing that happens when you're in, back in San Diego? Yeah. So I'm in San Diego. Um, I, at this point, uh, I get hired at that agency I tell you about. Um, I quickly moved up the ranks um, of that agency. Uh, one, because I was willing to like sort of put in the extra work to learn things. I, and all the stuff that I learned in school was finally coming to, to play. Everything was just sort of snapping into place. Um, and I find myself as a director. So now I have a staff of about 26 people. And again, um, you know, my end goals was to get a good job, you know, get degree, all that stuff. So I'm like, hey, I'm doing all the things I went to school for, but I'm miserable. Yeah, I, you're not even 30, right? Like, no, I'm not even 30 at this point. I'm almost. You're not I'm even 30. 30. Yeah, you're almost 30. You got 26 people reporting to you, and it's not what you want to be doing. Yeah, exactly. I'm burning myself out uh, because, and then now the play is gone. The play disappeared. It was work. So I went from seeing the world as a playground to seeing the world as a proving ground uh, where I'm like, I need to prove that I'm good enough. Um, and I was in this mode of optimization. I'm like one of those forever students. I always wanted to learn. And so I'm like, all right, the environment that I'm in now, I need to do a lot of public speaking. Um, I need to you know, know how to work the room. I need to speak to clients, all of these things. I'm really good at my job. I need, I need some schooling. You know, I need to, how do I level up this? And so I found a mentor. I've just found again, uh, someone that I respected. Um, and at the time he was the CEO of the digital marketing agency that, um, that I worked for. And then he got bought out. And so he was just sort of like floating around. And so, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, what should I do? At first he said, Toastmasters. I hated it. I, I, it was great. It was a great stepping stone but wasn't my jam. But then the next thing was like, oh, try improv. And that was it for me. That was, it was funny. I went to improv to get better at public speaking. 
but what I discovered there was that I hadn't been playing and it became uh, the sandbox again, the playground again. And it became uh, another deep focus, just like how it was in school. So I wanted to know everything about improv and I wanted to perform it too, because again, as I told you, I used to be in a band. I had since given that up, uh, just being an adult and stuff like that and not having time. And so this was going back to my performance roots. Uh, it was a lot of fun. But then I started bringing these improv games to my team. Just as as wanting to be a better leader, I'm like, this is great for me. I think my team would like this too. So we would play improv games on a Friday night, uh, you know, um, like, you know, over some beers, you know, in the conference room. We would do it uh, before we had a big meeting as a way to like de-stress and, and get in the zone. And so we would do all these things. And I became known as the improv guy that, uh, you know, that knew how to do improv. And so at these marketing associations, I would do improv workshops. Just, you know, it was my contribution. Um, so I was getting good at uh, facilitation. And I, I didn't know what I know now about the power of improv of how it brings people together. But I think inherently I did know because I kept doing it. But it was a hobby. <laughs> it wasn't my main thing. And I thought, you know, if, if we were playing The Sims... And I was on this, I would be on the marketing executive career path. And I thought the next thing would be um, to run my own agency. So I had moved from agency to agency and I was at a cush job. I mean, I loved working there. I, I had another team, um, my bosses I admired, uh, working on some awesome accounts. Uh, but then the opportunity came up where I would be a co-founder of a, of a small digital marketing firm. And I took it. And I, I thought that's where my career would take me. I, I thought that was the next step. Um, and I was like, oh, I can finally use all of this stuff in uh, learning and development and, and growing teams on my own team, you know, because that was my my role um, as one of the co-founders is, um, you know, uh, growing the staff and keeping the staff uh, healthy and, and whatnot and client strategy. And so that um, only lasted four years. But it sounds like what I want to go back to is that, you know, because you went from sort of a playground to a proving ground, which is such a great visual, um, that the improv gave you that outlet again of just learning and playing, like, because it wasn't your job, because it was just a hobby. It was just, it was something you got to like, just sort of geek out about that. It, it was fun again. You were learning, you're, you're enjoying it. And you're able to then figure out how to take some of those skills and apply it to the day job that you had which helped you stand out, which helped you have something to contribute, which gave you new opportunities to speak on a topic that you knew something about and you felt passionate about. So, so it like almost brought joy back into your day job, it right? Mm -hmm. But at no point were you thinking, I'm going to make a living doing this. So it makes sense that you were on this. I mean, earlier I said, wait, aren't you going to be working at a marketing agency? <laughs> like, I'm like, clearly this is where you're going. But now you have that role four years in, you're at this, uh, it sounds like you were at a startup. So that's, I mean, that's just super stressful to be in charge. Like that's something you don't know what it's like until you're doing it. Um, what parts of that didn't you like? Like why, why was that not fulfilling in the end? Turns out I, uh, my co-founder and the universe had different plans for me because I thought that was it. Uh, yeah. Because being, um, it was, a, our goal was, we want to stay small intentionally so that we can 
you know, we wanted it to be a lifestyle business where we made enough where everyone can be supported and we can do other things. That was the dream that I signed up for. <laughs> and um, yes, we we hit our fair share of of challenges of, uh, you know, payroll and, and clients and, and this, that and the other. Uh, but it was always my thing of like, all right, cool. I love this because I can I'm really good at digital marketing and all this other stuff. And I can I can set aside time for that. I can do that. And I love this sort of improv thing, this play thing. And uh, it was like my my sort of side gig, but like who cares if I'm getting paid for it? It was a really fun hobby. And I was on a um, retreat uh, that I was co-facilitating in Nicaragua in um, two or, or was it 2018? So my son was about to be one. Uh, it's my birthday week. We're in Nicaragua. I am like reflecting as the sun is going down on our last day. I'm like, I think I did it. I figured it out. Um, I have a job that affords me the ability to do amazing things like this. I loved it so much so that I got a tattoo uh, that uh, says Harmony. So years earlier, I got a tattoo on this arm that says Chaos. Uh, and then I, I said, oh, I'm completing the cycle. I, I, I've gotten Harmony. So I got a tattoo that evening or last evening there that says Harmony. And I went home. And that Monday, my co-founder uh, broke up with me and, and took the business and left. Wow. Wow. He said, I, I think we should go our separate ways. Um, he you did not see that coming. Did right? not. And I should have because he ran our other co-founder out four months before that. But I justified that and as a separate situation. <laughs> um and and it was one of those things I came back. I thought it was a normal sort of check-in. He owns 90% of the business. I only own 10%. And he basically said, hey, I'm I'm going to buy you out. And um, you're going to go do your own thing. And, and I'm going to take the business that I'm leaving. And get this, two hours after that, our landlord calls and told me and my wife that we have to move. Because he's selling our house. We have a good like uh, 60 days before we have to be out. That's your 2018. You have a nearly one-year-old. You're about to be evicted in two months to find a new place to live. And you no longer have the job that you love. And so much so that you had gotten a tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. My wife's not working. Uh, you are not working. No. Okay. <laughs> so this, this thing you did on the side, does this become your job? Uh, how, do you think, how do you turn that into something? I, so, like, yeah. How do you figure out what your new business is? Did you, I mean, you have all these skills. Did you want to stay in the world of marketing? You had clearly skills, contacts. You could have like gotten a new portfolio. I could have. Well, uh, so yeah. one, there was some shame of like, I thought like, oh, I did the thing. And I was like, to go back, almost like my in interpretation is like, I'm going with my legs, uh, my tail between my legs, like asking for my old job back and stuff like that. Knowing that like, I have a good, reputation stuff like that people would gladly like oh gary like we got you but there was something in me of like uh like i failed so there was that and then on top of that uh my wife saw better than i did she saw the joy that i was having when i was doing these things like teaching and facilitating um and i'm not even getting paid for this and like i would come home and like and just like beaming joy and like there was something there and so she was the one who really encouraged me like she's like you should do this um, you know, find out how to make this work, whatever this is. And so I'm also very grateful for my parents because, uh, we sold 
as much as we could and we moved in with my parents. They they live in the neighborhood. We we moved in with my parents. And I said, all right, two years. I'm gonna figure this out. Um and and because I had my network, so again going back to networking and um what I ended up doing was I had I had a about a three month window like with my sort of severance buyout plus you know we're at my parents we have even more time um i'm trying to figure out what this is and so i was open and honest and like hey look this is my you know i reached out to the people that i knew in my network and i said hey this is what i'm doing now um i'm figuring it out and if one like here's how you can support me um one can i do a complimentary i call it a complimentary recess um 45 minutes i'll, I'll come to your office I'll, I'll show you what i'm all about you know, it's on me. First one's on me. Um, and if, you know, if you see a way for us to work together, let me know. Um, you know, at, at best, give me a recommendation, like recommendation, uh, write a review so I can include this in my, in my package. And so, uh, quickly I was able to include some pretty big company names, uh, like in my portfolio of what I do now. Um, and then, then they started referring me. And then I started, I, because I saw the marketing, uh, sort of association, like as like my thing, I'm like, what else other, like, I, I know the power of having like a network like that. So I said, what else, what am I in? And I'm trying to figure out. And, and then someone said, oh, you're in learning and development. I'm like, oh, learning and development. Okay, cool. And so then I, um, and then of course, you know, I had at this point had already learned about applied improvisation. So I had that network and stuff like that. But I went um, to the ATD uh, conference, uh, Association of Talent Development Conference. It happened to be in San Diego that year. Um, so <laughs> I got a membership so I can get a discount on the tech. <laughs> um, this one was a little bit more expensive than, than Add to San Diego. But, um, but I got uh, the privilege of seeing people facilitate and and i learned a lot about you know what does it mean to be a true facilitator uh, again started making more people um in my sort of network um and i saw other people doing similar stuff as me and i said all right cool all right there are people that are doing experiential activities um as a way to help people learn and grow so it was very validating um, and then on top of that, I got to see um, President Barack Obama give like an amazing fireside chat at that at that event. And it was yeah, it was awesome. Um, and that was the catalyst for me to. I had a I had a I had a um, a vision <laughs> and, and, and I knew I knew. All right. If I can continue to network um, and get referrals and then go to events and then demo at event, events, um, that is going to that's going to help me um you know sort of start to build up this business and you were lucky because you had a bit of a runway i did um I, I similarly um when i left my career in the end of 2014 to start my business i got a lot of inquiries from people who saw that suddenly i was available but it wasn't the work i wanted to be doing and i like went to my wife and i said oh i want to turn down this and she says yeah that makes sense and i went to her again that night and i was like you know but like, there's this opportunity, and she's like, no, I know that makes sense. And then I went to her again the same night. I was like, she's not understanding. And she's like, um, she's like, are you asking permission to not make money right now? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm turning down money. She's like, I love you, but I don't need you. Like, I paid for this all before you came here. And I was like, thank you. I'm, 
Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Okay. And then that gave me like the ability to be saying yes to things I truly wanted to do and explore and play and try. And, you know, it took me a while to actually get serious enough about even making the money. Like, like I put all these non-monetary things up, like you said, like the free talks or writing the book, which, you know, spent money on, you know, like a podcast, but that's how you platform build. And it sounds like at some point you realize that you're also a professional speaker. Cause I know through NSA and I'm curious, like getting sort of the ATD route makes sense. The L and D when did you find NSA and part two of that question is how did 2020 impact your plans? Because it sounds like you had a two year plan to get this off the ground. And that was in 2018. So I'm just doing the math. Mm -hmm. Just kind of curious. Yes. Answer whichever one makes sense. Yeah. So, so as far as like the public speaking, that was for my digital marketing days. Um, I had been speaking on digital marketing topics. So I sort of got like an in, in that where I just stopped accepting requests to speak about digital marketing. And, um, and then started saying, well, can I talk about tangentially how digital marketing can be affected by, you know, improv and stuff like that? Um, but that that's how I first got into it. And I, I'm very thankful for going way, way, way back when I was this web marketing manager for a, a data storage company. The company that I hired to help us with landing pages saw my potential as a speaker. They paid for me to speak at a conf conference put on by a organization called marketing sherpa because they didn't want they didn't want to uh do it and feel like that they are uh sort of platforming and selling so they said oh we'll get one of our clients he has an amazing story amazing success and then tangentially we're involved so they paid for all of that they helped me put together the talk um and that was something where i'm like this is actually this is a lot of fun. I like this. And again, why I wanted to get better at it. And that's which led me to Toastmasters and stuff like that. So I was at, at the point when I was uh, a co-founder, I am speaking on a number of stages. It was just in digital marketing. And then when I was sh shifting, then I the inquiry sort of went down a little bit, but I had those contacts and I would ask them. I said, hey, I, I have something I think would be even more engaging than a typical talk on the future of this, that, and the other. And I, I'm very thankful for the people that, um, that, uh, took a chance <laughs> that allowed me to, you know, really show myself. So that again is how I got into the, the speaking realm. Um, and then because I started, uh, focusing on improvisation, I started saying, well, my talks are interactive talks. And then people are like, Ooh, tell me about these interactive talks. So th that was, all part of my strategy. I will get as many talks as I can. They will be interactive. Um, I can showcase what I do and then ask the question of like, wouldn't this be great to bring to your company? So that was my thing. Fast forward uh, to 2020. I was like, 2020 is going to be my year. Ask Jeff Harry. We were on the same page. We were like, this is going to be our year. Matter of fact, February of 2020, Jeff Harry and I uh, we're in, we're in Melbourne, Australia. We had, um, we had a, uh, a, a talk that we did together called dealing with a holes at work using play. 
And it was all about how to essentially deal with toxic masculinity and stuff like that in the workplace. And it was very interactive and it used um, some uh, playful things like improv. And we were at this conference called the Pause Fest and we were doing this workshop and we like, again, it was just like how it was in 2018. We're on cloud nine, like, wow, this is going to be a great year. Like a few weeks after we get back, everything yeah. shuts down. And everything. I had, I felt, I was like, Wow, I have to start over again. Um, however, I what I realized is I have all these skills that I've had up until to this point. I just needed to adapt a new medium. And and then just like again, it for me, I, I feel like the ongoing sort of uh theme is play. And so what was play for me back in, you know, um uh March, April, May, and June of 2020 was doing these free improv uh you know and laughter yoga workshops on zoom it was like hey pay what you can um i was very naive thinking that this would be all over in a few weeks and so i'm like yeah i'm gonna do it every week this is what we're gonna do here we go and i got a chance to uh do some amazing collaboration with some awesome people and i i burnt myself out i'm not gonna by june i was like spent. i was like what happened um and so you're probably wondering like weren't you living with your family yeah we were we were living with my parents still uh 2020 was the year when we had planned to move out uh because of the pandemic again thinking that it was going to be a short-lived thing me my wife and my son we uh went to from san diego to la to stay with my um my wife's family because it was just her mom and stepdad and they were a bit older and we were like hey we're going to support them uh, so that they don't have to go out that was in April and in June. We were like, wow, what's going on? Uh, but then uh, by then, I'm starting to get paid uh, doing some of these virtual things. Uh, the mark- good thing for the marketing stuff, I was doing, uh, again, more of that. Um, that helped. But then we moved. Well, it sounds also that, so th- that time, like I-, I thought back at that, those first like three, four months uh, after March 2020. And I remember the freedom of that time because we were all so self-focused that no one was looking at what I was doing closely. No one was criticizing what I was doing. If I failed, nobody really noticed. Like I try to also hold, like, hold on to that, that sense of, of possibility because it was just a very unique moment. And I was one of the people, and sounds like you were too, who like put the foot on the gas and just tried things. And definitely there were other people who were like, oh, this is a good time to take a six-month sabbatical. And when I come back, it'll all be over. <laughs> uh, they showed up in September with no skills in the virtual space, you know, and that was their downfall. But I feel like you, you know, you did a lot and maybe burnt yourself out a little bit. I'm still hosting something weekly uh, that I started March 13th, 2020. Um, but it gave you the skills to figure out how to present your content in this new medium so that by June, you were getting paid. I mean, that's a success story. That's a very short turnaround time to shift into this new new format and for people to trust that that's possible. Um, and that, you know, of course, you were moving. I mean, it's just so many things going on in the middle of all this. I w- I, I'm going to ask you in a minute a, a question about um, kind of where we're going next with this, because yeah. this is su- such a good conversation. And I'm kind of curious what comes next. Um, but, you know, before we get to that, we're going to have a quick commercial break. All right. So what I want to know as we're winding this up is a year from now, when you and I are getting together, 
Uh, I know that I see you all the time, like a couple times a month, but I'm going to be like, Hey, Gary, a year ago, you know, I interviewed you. What are we going to be celebrating a year from now? What are we going to be toasting that's coming up? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Yeah. For the first time in a long time, I feel like I have more of my, my act together. Like, um, you know, I've been playing with all these little things and I feel like I have more, uh, structure. Uh, and so what I am excited to celebrate in a year from now is uh, consistency of to say, hey, look, you know, I, I put these things out in the world and I am doing more of that on a consistent basis. And, you know, we, we had talked about this, too, um, in our in our group of one of the things that um, like when I was in, quote unquote, survivor mode is like, am I going to get paid? You know, <laughs> am I going to get like. Am I going to get booked and stuff like that? And and I'm feeling very, you know, you know, confident in saying that like lately, you know, it's been very consistent. And I want to get to the place where I'm not thinking about that um, because I'm confident in my ability to um, delight and create uh, meaningful experiences where that's just not a thing. And so I'm, you know, celebrating the fact that like, oh wow, I haven't I haven't worried about bookings or anything because it's yeah, it's good. That's awesome. I can't wait to celebrate that and all your milestones up until that point when you reach that level of consistency. Because every entrepreneur, you know, a, a business means you sold something. A successful business means you know where the next sale is coming from. <laughs> like that consistency is so important. So how can people find you and follow your work? Yeah. Uh, if you're listening to this, watching this, and you're like, wow, this is really, really interesting. I, I wanna, I'm going to chat with this dude. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, look me up, Gary Ware. You can go to my website, breakthroughplay.com. Um, you know, on the social space, I pretty much play in, in uh, LinkedIn and Instagram. Those are those are my playgrounds. Um, so yeah, that's where we are. Hit me up, ask me a question. I'm happy to chat. We're gonna put all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Gary, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a fun conversation. Uh, Robbie, thank you so much. Yeah, very therapeutic. You're a great host, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Gary. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share it resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 339. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week by interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On The Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E.
This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.